Um, Today's reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Okay. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So right now we're working our way through Luke. And as a church, that's how we usually work through a passage or a book of the Bible. We just go passage by passage and see each week what God has in store for us. Now, another way to preach, another thing you can also do, is that when a passage means something or has an implication that you really want to focus on, you can also spend a week and focus on something that the passage is pointing to. So that's more what we're doing today, is we're looking at something that our passage is pointing to, rather than just strictly staying in our text. Now, I also want to point out that since we are walking through the book of Luke, passage by passage, and God is setting the agenda for what we're going to talk about each week, the fact that this text came up when it did, that has this implication and meaning for us right now, is, I believe, something that God wants. And so we're still on his timetable and his agenda as we talk about what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to, the, the topic that this text points to is the miracle of life in the womb that God creates. So we want to talk about, we want to be a church that celebrates this beautiful miracle that God does when he creates life in the womb. Now, this is a topic that, um, because of where our culture is at and because of things like abortion, is very heavy and very weighty. But it's also something that is important to my heart. It's important to many people's hearts in this, wo- in this room. And, um, and I just a- hope that, that as I preach this sermon and in the future that this becomes something that's more dear and more important to our hearts and something that we care about more and do more to make a difference about. Now, in, in the course of this sermon, I want to answer three questions. The first question is, what does our passage have to do with the topic of life in the womb. The second question I want to answer is, does science and medicine either uphold or undermine that? So does science and medicine confirm what the scripture says, or does it not? And lastly, I want to ask is, how should we as a church respond to the issue of abortion? So now, um, before I get into my first question, I also want to mention that um, that there may be people here who have possibly had an abortion. 
or possibly you were a guy and, and pressured someone else to, to receive this. And I want to talk about the value of life in the womb, but I do not want to do it in a way that brings guilt and shame to you, that beats you up, or makes you feel less than. So after we talk about life in the womb, we're also going to talk about how Jesus responds when we sin and don't value life in the womb. So this part, that is coming at the end of the sermon, and so if you feel like it's being very difficult to listen to and stay with me because the Lord is convicting you or making you feel shame or sorrow, know that we're going to hear about Jesus, and he has an answer for everything, including when we don't protect life. All right, so let's talk about the first question, and that is what does our passage have to say about life in the womb? So, Daniel preached two sermons, and in these two sermons, angels showed up to Elizabeth and to Mary. And in each of these encounters, the angels announced to these women that they were going to have children. And Mary hears from the angel Gabriel that his, her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, and so what does she do? I love what it says. She says, with haste, she goes to visit her. So she goes to see her cousin who is pregnant. And then she shows up there, and it says she greets her cousin Elizabeth. And then verse 41 says the same thing again. She greets her cousin Elizabeth. And actually, we can bring that verse up here on the screen. You see, it says she greets Elizabeth, and then she says that, that the baby responded at the greeting from Mary. So the greeting is mentioned twice. The author mentions it twice because he's being redundant. He didn't have to say it twice. And if you're reading a story and an author starts to slow down and repeat himself, what he's doing is he's building suspense. He's building towards a moment. This text is moving towards a climactic moment. And the climactic moment is when John, the son of Elizabeth, leaps in the womb when Mary comes and greets, greets them. So this is an important moment on, in the text that we want to focus on. Is this child leaping in the womb? This is something that Luke thinks is important. And then the text goes on to say that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit at this point. And what does she say? It says, And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So now, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she's explaining what's going on at that moment when the baby leapt. And we know she's speaking from the Holy Spirit because as far as we know, she never heard that Mary was going to have a baby. But she said, I know that you have a baby. And then she goes on to explain that her, her baby in her womb left in response to Mary's greeting, the mother of her Lord. So she knows these things through the Holy Spirit and she's exclaiming them. So we know that when she's speaking, she's speaking accurately because she's being guided by God to say these things. 
And now I want to focus on one crucial point that sticks out in the text for us. And that is that the unborn child in Elizabeth's tummy had an emotional response and expressed it. Just want that, that to land on us. The life inside her tummy had an emotional response and expressed it. Clumps of cells do not have emotional responses. Organs in your body do not have their own emotional responses. Human beings have emotional responses. I was talking about, I want to talk about an implication from our text today. The implication that I want to talk about is that when we read passages like this, we cannot but confess that what God creates in the wombs of mothers are human beings. And this is not all that this text has to say about human life in the womb. Did you notice? Did you notice what Elizabeth said to Mary in verse 43? And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to visit me? Did she say that the, that the soon-to-be mother of my Lord should come to visit me? Or that the future mother of my Lord should come to visit me? No. She says that you are the mother of my Lord right now. Even though Jesus was a brand new little human being in there, baby only a few days old, because it says she went to her with haste. She says, you are the mother of my Lord. And so let us see that at any point in the development of a human being, from the moment of conception up until the final month between birth or in the middle where John was in his stage of being a couple months in his development, we're talking about human beings and human life. Because this is how Elizabeth, guided by the Holy Spirit, explains what is going on in this situation. Here's what one pastor has to say about this. As a fetus of six months, John was an emotional being. He had the capacity to be filled with the Spirit. He was so overcome that he leapt for joy. This is a sobering revelation for anyone who countenances abortion, but especially for Christians. But there is more. Mary had already conceived. She was three or four days pregnant. Jesus was a zygote. And when Jesus, a zygote in the womb of his mother, entered the room, John the Baptist, a six-month-year-old fetus in Elizabeth's womb, left for joy, and Elizabeth addressed Mary in the present tense as the mother of my Lord. I was reading another pastor, and he pointed out that when John left in the womb, that this was his first act in his lifelong work of witnessing to Jesus. And I just want us to be amazed at what we're seeing here. One little human being leaping in the womb, starting to bear witness to his Lord in the womb of the woman right beside him. This is why John built up to this moment. I'm sorry, this is why Luke built up to this moment. This is why he saw this as climactic. Because this is a miraculous, beautiful first interaction between John and Jesus. And it happens when Jesus is only a few days from conception and John is only a few months developed. And we can see that what God is saying about these little lives. 
So that answers question one. What does our passage have to say about life in the womb? And guess what? There's tons of other passages I could bring in and share. And if you have curious, if you're curious and you want to know more, please come talk to me. I'd be happy to share with you some more passages. But now I want to ask, does medicine and science support or undermine what the Bible says about life in the womb? And the reason I want to ask that question is because if the Bible is true, which it is, then what it says is going to be reflected in creation and in our world. And also, if what it says about unborn life is true, then we're going to want to be able to appeal to people and change their minds to join with us in protecting that life, even if they reject the authority of the Bible. And so we need to be able to make arguments from science and medicine that show that when God creates a life in the womb, it is a human being. So as far as I can tell, when I'm looking at the science and the medicine and the research, it really, everything kind of breaks towards the side of showing that a life in the womb is a human life. When we hear the arguments from our culture and society that this is not the case, it is very, very often the fact that they're using a philosophical argument to pivot from the fact that this is a human life to justify why it should not be treated with the same kind of protection we are. So here's what I mean. If we look at science and see what researchers have to say, they would say that a fertilized egg is a living organism. So I'm, I'm going to make two points and put them together. The first point is they would say a fertilized egg is a living organism. Here's what Dr. Maureen Kondik from Utah School of Medicine says. Um, she says that human life begins at sperm-egg fusion is uncontested, objective, based on the universally accepted scientific method of distinguishing different cell types from each other and on ample scientific evidence, thousands of independent, peer-reviewed publications. And I wish I could get a little more into her arguments about why this is certainly a living organism, but they're just a little too complex for, for us in the setting right now, um, maybe, maybe a little bit on the podcast. But the point is, is that when you call a fertilized egg a living organism, that that is an accurate way to describe it. This is a living organism. It's alive. Now, the second truth, scientific truth, I want to combine with that, is that this living organism has its own unique set of human DNA. Unless it's twins or something like that, it has its own unique sense, set of human DNA. Which means when I put these two things together in my mind, just as simply and basically as I can, what we have when we have a fertilized egg is a unique human life. And I don't see how that can be anything other than a human being. How could you say this is a unique human life, but it's not a human being? That's just playing games. When we put those two ideas together, the only conclusion is that we have a unique human life. That is what God creates. Now, actually, when people who are advocates of abortion debate and argue this issue, oftentimes they'll concede that fact. You see, science and medicine is so clear on this issue that it doesn't even pay to disagree with it. Because you can't. Eventually you can't because it's so straightforward. Here's what, um, here's what Anne Furedy, the chief executive of the largest 
independent abortion business in the UK said in a debate on abortion. We can accept that the embryo is a living thing in the fact that it has a beating heart, that it has its own genetic system within it. It's clearly human in the sense that it's not a gerbil, and we can recognize that it is human life. Even those who would advocate for abortion would say that it is a human life. Deep down inside, we all know that that's what we're talking about. So how then do we get to their position of abortion? And this is where people have to do mental gymnastics to get to that point. They have to make arguments that we would never want to agree with, any society wouldn't want to agree with to get to this point. Here's what Mary Elizabeth Williams says in her article from Salon.com. Um, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as a woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity within her, always. I just want us to feel the weight of the statement that she made. All life is not equal. And what she means by that is all human life is not equal. And say, I'm just so thankful we have the Bible so we don't have to believe lies like that. The Bible says, God created male and female in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Which means every life from conception to the grave has the same value. We don't go around picking who's worth more than other people. We don't have to. We're not stuck in that morbid thinking that leads to all kinds of atrocities that have been committed in history. Her statement that not all life is equal, when you apply that to a society, that's how societies got to the place where they killed so many people like in Germany and Russia and other places last century. It's a really scary and terrible place to go. And what usually happens when you believe that not all life is equal, the life that is less able to speak for itself, less able to defend itself, is a life that ends up being less equal than the other life. And isn't that the case with abortion more than anything else? Isn't that the weakest, smallest, most vulnerable human life, the least able to speak for itself? And thank God that we are able to say that that life has as much value as you or me or anyone else, and I'm happy to take care of and defend and protect that life. That's a calling we have. That's an honor we have. That's a privilege we have to advocate and stand for those little lives. Not to buy into these arguments that our culture wants us to accept that we can judge which life is more valuable than other lives. But we get to stand on God's truth and God's word. Matt Chandler made a super powerful point in his sermon when he was talking about this issue. He mentioned that in 1973, when they passed Roe v. Wade, or I guess the court just decided it was the case, 
um, invented this, out, this law out of nowhere. Um, we didn't have the technology that we have today. So it wasn't as easy to see what we were doing. There wasn't sonograms. There wasn't this ability to look inside the womb and see this life moving and growing and reacting and smiling and doing all the things that babies already do before they're even born. So now when we get to the point where we're at today, we have less excuse. The advance of science and medicine shows that these lives are lives more and more as each year passes. Now that we can see what's there, we have more responsibility to protect it. While I was researching for the sermon, I came across a picture, and, and it's about to go up on the screen. And this is the result of this technology, that we can, we can see what life would look like at a certain age in the womb. There it is right there. I don't know if the lights can be brought down at all. But there's a child that, what a child would look like at 20 weeks of development. And when you see that picture, there's just no way. There's just no way. There's just no way that is not an image bearer of God. There's no argument to refute that. And I'll, I, I want to be clear that a lot of abortions do happen before this point. The majority of them do. But it is legal right now, and it does happen in our country, that at 20 weeks you can terminate your pregnancy. This, uh, this child at 20 weeks has already been able to make a fist and to suck his thumb for 10 weeks. He can kick, he can turn over, he can make a fist, he can open his mouth, and he can press his lips together. And this is the one that, that shocked me the most, is that at 20 weeks, a child in the womb can be startled. You ever have that, where someone walks in the room and you jump? That happens to the little baby in the womb at 20 weeks. We can't use logic and reason to deny what's so plainly evident. So my main point today that I want us to make, that I want us to receive, is that life in the womb is a valuable and precious gift from God that we should be eager to defend and care about and that we should not forget about. Life in the womb is a valuable gift from God. And this point immediately causes me to think of the couples who have had miscarriages in our church. We should remember to weep with those who weep. And we should... Remember that miscarriages hurt a lot and it can take a long time to heal from and we need to keep checking in on people and not assume that they're better because it hurts to lose a child. And if life in a womb is a child, then when you lose one, it will hurt. All right, now let's move on to the third question. How should we as Christians respond to the issue of abortion? I have three things. The first is, well, it might relate, you might be able to relate to me that you might feel powerless like me. You might feel unable to change this issue, unable 
I mean, we, we can feel so strongly about this, but what can we do to actually stop it? And a lot of times it feels like nothing. But you know the king of kings. You know the one who's sovereign, who decides who's in control, who decides who's in government, who decides who makes laws, who decides what laws they make. How often have we interceded on this issue? How often have we pled to him for these lives that he would be merciful to them? I just want to make an appeal to you and to myself because I haven't been doing this yet, but let's make this a daily part of our prayer lives. Let us pray for the unborn every day. Otherwise, you're just going to forget about them. You're going to hear my sermon, and you'll forget about them until you hear the next sermon, and we won't have prayed in the meantime. God has made us intercessors for the week. God has made us priests, which means that you stand and represent people before God and ask God to take care of them. You have a responsibility to the unborn to pray for them. Will you join me? Will you make this a part of your daily prayer routine? Will you pray for the protection and the life of the unborn? And I have two more points of application. And I'm kind of a little scared to give them because I could see them being controversial. And so just know that I'm giving these from a compassionate heart. And if I need to be corrected, feel free to talk to me at some point. I'm not saying I, I'm the person who knows it all on both of these issues, but I do feel like to be faithful, I have to speak what I believe. The first is I would counsel any couple here not to use hormone-based pregnancy pills, which are all pregnancy pills. The reason I say that is because although the pill is supposed to stop ovulation, which is supposed to stop conception, which is okay. If the pill fails to stop conception and conception happens, the pill will make it hard for the fertilized egg to implant on the uterine wall, and it might accidentally cause an abortion. Your doctor won't mention this to you, probably, but there is growing bodies of research, and you can please talk to me if you want to see more of the research that shows that Hormone pills can accidentally cause abortions. And I just wanted to warn you. I just wanted to let that be known. Um, so that it was one application I wanted to make. The other is we do have the privilege of living in a nation where we get to decide to a certain extent who governs us. And I just want to encourage everyone here to refuse to vote for anybody who would be okay with abortion and to only vote for people who stand against it. And I know there's probably 10 objections in everyone's mind coming up right now because this is not fashionable to say anymore. You say this is complex. There's other issues to care about. The people who have talked about pro-life don't actually do anything about it. And I think a lot of those criticisms have merit. Okay, I'm not saying there's not other issues. And I'm not saying that we've been at this a long time and it hasn't worked. This is what I'm saying when I'm thinking about this. Is that if the issue were something like slavery or Jim Crow that was still around somehow, 
and there's candidates disagreeing about that, every single last one of us would be single-issue voters like that. And I think we're at that threshold. I think we're at that point. So I don't want to excuse any of the objections. I don't want to dismiss them and say that doesn't matter. I just want us to consider the severity of the situation and just reason, consider my reason when you're thinking about who you're voting for. And, and, and yeah, yeah, I just want you to submit that to you. And I wish I had more time because there's so many more issues to discuss. Like, what about the safety of the mother? What about rape and incest? What about adoption? What can our church help women to do who are in crisis and feel like they need to get an abortion? Because that's real. That's real. There's young women who are terrified and alone, and they don't know what else to do, and everyone in their life is telling them that this is what they need to do. What can our church do about these things? And I guess everyone's just going to have to listen later this week because we're going to talk about it <laughs> and, um, and get into these very complicated issues. And if you heard me say this issue is simple, you didn't hear me right. And if you heard me say anyone who disagrees with me is off or wrong, you didn't hear me right. I'm just, I'm just trying to share what I really want you to strongly consider. Now, I said in the opening of the sermon that I wanted to speak specifically about any women who may have had an abortion. Maybe you're here right now and you feel guilt and shame and misery as you see the picture, as you hear about the value of life in the womb. And I just want to point out to you right now that Jesus never forgives or accepts anyone because you didn't have an abortion. That's not how you get in his family. That's not why he loves any of us. The reason he loves any of us is because he went to the cross and he bore our sins and he died for us and anyone who believes in him can have their sins washed white as snow. There's no sin he can't wash away, including the sin of abortion. You can feel forgiven. You can feel free. You can feel your shame taken away from you. Don't feel like he doesn't love you if this happened to you. And don't ever communicate to anyone else who's gone through this that Jesus doesn't love them because it's happened to them. My sins are just as grievous. I needed his blood just as much. So don't allow Satan to drive you away from the one place you need to be. Don't allow Satan to take you away from the cross of Jesus Christ where every sin can be nailed to the cross and every wound can be healed. Even this wound. Even this wound. He has plans for you <laughs> to use you in beautiful and profound ways. Don't let the enemy take you out with his lies. And as a family... It is so important that we understand this. That the way someone gets into the kingdom is not by not having an abortion. It is by believing in Jesus. Because we need to respond to women who have gone through this in a loving way. If we're not the kind of place that shows unconditional love and acceptance to people who have gone through this, they will never join our church. And if they do, they'll never talk about what they went through. There are people who need to talk about this who need to be ministered to about this. And until we're clear that there is love for you, 
that there is no judgment for you, that there's mercy for you in Jesus, the conversation's over. Well, it's a non-starter. We won't be able to minister to the hundreds and hundreds of women who have been victimized by abortion, who live in our city, who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even worse than that, even worse than that, if we're not a place that shows unconditional love and acceptance to Jesus, of Jesus and refuses to condemn and shame, if we're not that, women who are thinking about having an abortion won't come and share that with us. We won't be able to rescue little babies. If the mother does not feel like this is a place where she can come and talk about it and receive love and mercy and help from us, then we will not be able to help those people. And so the way to be able to interact with people who have gone through this or to, who are going through it in the present is to remember that we too are great sinners who have a great Savior. And that that Savior is sufficient for everyone at all times in every situation. There is no one he can't help and there is no one we won't accept here and try to help. Because we value all human life means we value the mother also. I've talked so much about the baby, but we value the mother. She's in the image of God too. She was meant for, to be with God too. Now we care about abortion at the end of the day, and we care about life in the womb because we care about Jesus. Isn't any political ideology that is driving us or agenda, we care about Jesus. The Bible says since all life is created in his image and reflects him, that means that if we care about him, we'll care about those little lives. That's the reason why we care. That's the reason why we want to help these people. And I love, I love that his gospel is the opposite of abortion. One pastor put it this way. He said an abortion Someone says, you die so that I can live. And in the gospel, Jesus says, I will die so you can live. And that really is the solution to this whole issue, is are we people who really believe that and who really act like that's the case when we encounter someone who's going through this? Because Jesus died and rose, like, I'm sad. Like, I am, I'm, I'm, my heart hurts for this, but I feel like, I feel hopeful. When we pray about this, like I challenge us each day, we don't have to feel crushed and, and absolutely despairing and despondent. We can feel like, Lord, maybe in our lifetime, maybe in our lifetime you'll change the nation and our hearts to be able to put an end to this. And so I just, I just want us to go today with a sense of optimism that because Jesus has conquered death, we can face all kinds of sin and destruction and harm in our society. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you that you care about all human life a thousand times more than we do. And we ask that we would have your heart in caring for human life like you do. 
Father, change our hearts. Help us to be a community that rescues women rather than shames women and that protects babies. And Lord, I do pray for our leaders and our government and ask that you give them the wisdom and the courage to put a stop to this. And Lord, I do ask that every day we would join your heart in desiring that all human life would live in the body and in the flesh and then also live again by being born again and knowing you. Thank you that there is no problem that's too hard for Jesus. That's where I'm resting my hope right now. That's why I'm going to be able to go home and sleep tonight even though this is still going on because this isn't too hard for Jesus. Lord, build our hope in Christ even higher than you ever have. Thank you so much for him and everything that he's accomplished for us. And please help him by the power of his Holy Spirit to minister to us now as we minister to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.